Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie. Presumably. Okay, like real talk keepers, I'm looking for a new co-host. Ellen, presumably, has been murdered. Oh, like you could replace me. Mm, some days I'd love to try. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week we covered Chapter 1, The Riddle House, and its corresponding film scene. The Riddle House was, presumably, in need of a visit from this old house crew. Frank Bryce, presumably, should have taken his pension and moved to Majorca. Nagini, presumably, was a literal snake in the grass. David Tennant, presumably, shouldn't have been in this scene, but Katie's lady boner was happy he was. Wormtail was presumably sent to Earth to destroy said lady boner, and Voldemort was presumably sent to Earth to destroy everything else. During episode 64, Lady Boner, our Potter pondering was, who do you think the man was who owned the Riddle House? Do you think he was connected to Voldemort? Mike thinks it was just some rich old guy with so much money he forgot he owned the biggest house in that tiny town. He got it for tax purposes. Who doesn't want to own an old castle-style house to turn into a haunted house? Juliana said she never really thought about it before but it would be interesting if it turned out to be owned by a Death Eater. She could see the Malfoys or Lestranges wanting to keep it safe for Voldy's return. Ooh. She also fully believes that Voldy cursed the house when he killed the other Riddles. That's one reason why no one lived there for very long. Plus, it could be haunted. Max says that we never actually find out where Dumbledore lives. Just saying. He also thinks that Dumbledore used it so that he only had to pay the council tax on that house. Not on the castle he was clearly living in. Diana said she never really thought much about it, but she doesn't think Dumbledore gives a Pettigrew's ass about tax law. <laughs> Pettigrew's ass. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> we need to remember that one. Definitely. She also went on to say that maybe it was Dumbledore and he only owned it to have a reason to continue to pay Frank as some anonymous compensation for the horrible happenings that went down because of the Wizarding World. Plus... Dumbledore always felt a little responsible for how Moldy Voldy turned out, so she doesn't think it's a huge stretch. Hmm. Carly said she always had this theory it was Voldemort. However, he wouldn't have had to break into the house if he had some connection. Quincy said that he always thought that it was Voldemort, thinking that he had an understanding of muggle money, and because he wanted to also rule over the muggle world, it wouldn't be too far-fetched to him that he would have garnered knowledge on muggle real estate. It would make sense to him for Voldy to have a house he could go to so that he had a refuge when he needed it. Alice always assumed that it was Voldemort too. He would want the house in ruins rather than someone buy it and make it wonderful again. Jackson thinks he was a businessman like the owner of a company. He keeps it for tax reasons so that makes sense. And Dave pretty much agrees with that because he said, according to public little Hangleton City records, the house was bought at a tax sale for £394 in unpaid taxes. Supposedly, the buyer, who was not named, was a property developer who wanted to remodel the house and rent it out on Air A&A &A after he finished inventing Air A&A. &A. 
Unfortunately, his competitor invented it first, so he gave up on that idea and went on to start a small company called Almazon, selling books and potions via Owl and offering free shipping, hoping it would catch on. We already know his name, though. It's Jeff Bazor. So that's it. Jeff Bazor owns the Riddle House. <laughs> Mystery solved. Check that one off the list. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for all of your responses. These were really great. Our trivia question last week was, what did Dudley chuck out the window after he got in trouble for cheating on his diet? Harry writes in his letter to Sirius that Dudley threw his PlayStation out the window, which was a bit stupid really because now he hasn't even got Mega Mutilation Part 3 to take his mind off things. Hashtag bit stupid really. Hashtag indeed. Mm-hmm. Congratulations goes to Max Nash, who's returning to the winner's circle after taking some time off. He said he'd be back for Goblet of Fire, and he's off to a good start. Maybe this will bring Quincy out of retirement, too. We got some good competition building up for this weekly trivia question. Seriously. And this week's trivia question will be a little more challenging, since it can come from either Chapter 4 or Chapter 5, so be prepared. Yeah, there are no movie scenes that correlate with Chapters 2 through 5, so we're combining 2 and 3 for this episode, and four and five for next week to make sure our episodes aren't too short. Yep. So for now, let's just keep rolling into chapter two, The Scar, and chapter three, The Invitation. Chapter two, The Scar. Harry awakens from a vivid dream holding his scar, which is burning terribly. He keeps one hand on his scar and reaches for his glasses to bring the room into focus in the faint orange light from the street lamp outside. His scar is painful to the touch, and he turns on the light and goes to his wardrobe to check himself in the mirror. His reflection shows a skinny boy with green eyes, messy hair, and a lightning bolt scar that looks normal but still hurts. Harry tries to remember what his dream was about. There were three people in a dark room, two he knew, one he did not, and a large snake on the rug. He remembers Wormtail and the cold voice of Lord Voldemort, but cannot remember what Voldemort had looked like in his dream. What Harry does remember is the horror that had awoken him, but he wonders if the pain in his scar is what actually woke him up. He also wonders who the old man in his dream was. Harry closes his eyes and tries to remember more details before they slip away, and recalls Voldemort and Wormtail talking about someone, whose name he can't remember, that they had killed, and that they were planning on killing someone else. Him. Harry opens his eyes, almost expecting to see something strange and there happened to be many strange things in his room. A large wooden trunk, a cauldron, a broomstick, black robes, spellbooks, rolls of parchment, and an empty cage which usually held his snowy owl Hedwig. The book that lay open on the floor next to Harry's bed has pictures in it that are all moving pictures of Quidditch players, but his favorite sport cannot distract him right now, and he puts the book on the table before opening his curtains to look out the window. Privet Drive seems to be a perfectly suburban street in this early Saturday morning. All of the curtains are closed, and there's not a living creature in sight, not even a cat. Yet Harry is restless and sits back on his bed, touching his scar again. The pain isn't what's bothering Harry. He has plenty of painful injuries in the past. What bothers Harry is that the last time his scar hurt him was when Voldemort had been close by. But the idea of Voldemort being in Privet Drive is ludicrous. He sits in silent for a moment and is startled when his cousin snores loudly from the next room. 
Harry knows that he's being silly and that his Uncle Vernon and Petunia and Cousin Dudley are all still sleeping peacefully and that they're alone in the house. He prefers the Dursleys sleeping. His only living relatives are muggles who despise magic and who say that Harry spends his school year at St. Brutus's Secure Center for Incurably Criminal Boys instead of Hogwarts. He laughs at the thought of going to them about his burning scar and worries about Voldemort, who is in fact the reason that Harry is living with them at all. Voldemort, the most powerful dark wizard in a century, had killed Harry's parents and given him the lightning bolt scar when he tried to kill one-year-old Harry. The spell he used rebounded off of Harry and reduced Voldemort to something barely alive, causing him to flee, ending 11 years of terror and making Harry Potter famous. It was quite a shock to Harry on his 11th birthday to find out that he was a wizard, but it was even more unsettling to discover that everyone in the hidden wizarding world knew who he was. He's used to turning heads at Hogwarts now and is counting the days until he starts his fourth year at the castle. He looks around the room and when he sees the birthday cards he received from his best friends, he imagines what they would say if he told them about his scar hurting. Hermione would tell him to write to Dumbledore and she would consult a book in the meantime, though Harry doubts that a book would reference his symptoms since he's probably the only person to ever survive a curse like Voldemort's. Harry thinks about telling Dumbledore, but doesn't know what he would write. Instead, Harry tries to imagine what Ron would say, and the image of Ron's red-haired, freckled head pops into Harry's mind. Ron would nervously wonder if it was possible for you-know-who to be nearby, and if that means he was trying to do Harry in again, saying that maybe curse scars always hurt and that he had asked his dad. Harry doesn't want the whole Weasley family, who are his favorite family, to know that he's so worried over a little pain. Mrs. Weasley would fuss over Harry, and Fred and George, the twins two years older than Ron and Harry, would say he's losing his nerve. Ron had mentioned something about the Quidditch World Cup, and Harry hopes for an invitation to stay very soon, so he doesn't want people worrying and asking about his scar during his visit. He rubs his forehead and shamefully admits to himself that what he really wants is someone like a parent, an adult wizard who won't make him feel stupid, who cares about him, someone who has experience with dark magic. Harry then realizes he has Sirius to turn to, and rushes to his desk to get parchment and a quill. He's surprised that it took him so long to think of it, but thinks that it isn't so strange since he had only learned about Sirius being his godfather two months ago. Sirius had been in the terrible wizard jail, Azkaban, guarded by the soul-sucking Dementors, falsely imprisoned for the murders that Voldemort's servant, Wormtail, had actually committed, though almost everybody believes Wormtail to be dead. Harry, Ron, and Hermione came face to face with him last year and know he's alive, though only Dumbledore believed their story. Sirius had offered Harry a home away from the Dursleys once his name was cleared, but Wormtail escaped and Sirius had to flee with the condemned hippogriff Buckbeak before they could have the home they wanted. This had made returning to the Dursleys even more difficult, knowing he had almost escaped them forever. Though Sirius may not be able to be with Harry, he still helps. The Dursleys are afraid of Harry's power and enjoy keeping him miserable, locking his school things in the cupboard under the stairs during the summer. This summer is different, though, since Harry had told him about his dangerous murderer godfather, but not that Sirius was actually innocent. Harry has gotten two letters from Sirius this summer, both delivered by large tropical birds that offended Hedwig. Harry imagines palm trees and white sand and hopes Sirius is enjoying himself, but Sirius won't tell Harry where he is in case the letters get intercepted. The letters he had received both seemed cheerful and told Harry to call on him whenever he needs, and Harry needs him now. When the sun is fully risen and he hears his Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia moving in their room, Harry rereads his finished letter. 
he had written that he liked the last bird that had delivered his letter, tells Sirius about the Dursleys and how Dudley was caught cheating on his diet by smuggling donuts, and how they're not as terrible as usual for fear that Harry will ask Sirius to come and turn them into bats. After the small talk, he tells Sirius that his scar hurt again that morning, and wonders if Voldemort could be around, or if curse scars sometimes hurt years after. Harry leaves out the dream he had, lays the letter down on his desk for when Hedwig returns from hunting, gets dressed, and heads down for breakfast. The closest thing there was to a corresponding film scene to Chapter 2 was Harry awakening from a nightmare with a start. Beyond that, it was streamlined out completely. So I'm going to read the summary for Chapter 3, The Invitation. Nobody looks up when Harry enters the kitchen. Uncle Vernon is reading the Daily Mail, and Aunt Petunia is cutting a grapefruit. Dudley is sulking and seems to be bigger than usual, which is saying something. His life had changed when his end-of-the-year report came back. Vernon and Petunia always brush off his bad marks and the accusations of bullying, saying their Dudley is very gifted and that he would never hurt a fly. What they are not able to ignore this time were the notes from the school nurse, that despite Aunt Petunia saying it's puppy fat or that he's a growing boy who needs plenty of food, the school doesn't stock knickerbockers large enough for him. Many tantrums from Dudley and tears from Aunt Petunia later, the diet sheet from Smelting School had been posted on the fridge, which was emptied of all of Dudley's favorite foods and replaced with vegetables and fruits. To make Dudley feel better, the whole family eats the same diet, with Dudley always getting a larger portion than Harry. What the Dursleys don't know is that under a loose floorboard in Harry's room are candies, cakes, and meat pies, all sent by his friends after he had sent letters to let them know that he was expected to survive on carrot sticks all summer and asking for help. Harry still has two of the four birthday cakes he received from Ron, Hermione, Hagrid, and Sirius under his floorboard, and he thinks about these and eats his grapefruit in silence. Uncle Vernon grumpily asks if that is it, and Aunt Petunia glares and nods at Dudley, who has already finished and was sourly looking at Harry. As Uncle Vernon is about to eat his grapefruit, the doorbell rings. Uncle Vernon sets off to answer the door, Aunt Petunia busies herself with the kettle, and Dudley steals Uncle Vernon's portion of grapefruit. Harry hears talking and then someone laughing before he hears the door close and the sound of paper ripping. Aunt Petunia turns around and wonders where Uncle Vernon has got to, and a minute later he comes back in the kitchen, livid, and tells Harry to go to the living room. Now. Harry wonders what he is supposed to have done this time, and goes into the living room with Uncle Vernon, who shuts the door behind them before marching over to him, saying, So. Harry wants to say, So what? but thinks that Uncle Vernon's temper should not be tested so early in the morning, and decides to look politely puzzled. Uncle Vernon waves purple writing paper at Harry and tells him that a letter about him has just arrived. Harry is even more confused now, wondering who would be writing to Uncle Vernon about him, and who did he know who used the postman. Uncle Vernon glares at Harry and begins reading the letter aloud. The letter is from Mrs. Weasley and mentions Ron, the Quidditch Cup final, and Mr. Weasley's connections at the Department of Magical Games and Sports. She goes on to express her hopes that Harry can join them as this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and that Harry would be welcome to spend the rest of the summer holiday with them and that they will see him safely back off to Hogwarts. She closes the letter asking for Harry's response as quickly as possible, but in the normal way and with hopes to see Harry soon. Her postscript is her hope that enough stamps had been used. Uncle Vernon finishes reading the letter and then pulls out the envelope, covered entirely in stamps except for the small square that held the Dursley's address. 
Harry fights back laughter at the envelope and says that, well, she did use enough stamps. As if it were a mistake anyone could make. Uncle Vernon angrily tells Harry that the postman had thought it was so funny that he rang the doorbell. Harry knows that most people would not care so much about a bunch of stamps, but he also knows that the Dursleys hate anything slightly out of the ordinary, especially being connected to people like Mrs. Weasley. Harry and Uncle Vernon stare at each other, Harry trying to look as neutral as possible in the hopes that he is in for the treat of a lifetime, and Uncle Vernon glaring. After a few moments, Harry asks if he can go. He can see the battle going on in Uncle Vernon's mind. Let Harry go and make him happy, which goes against his very nature, or let Harry go and be rid of him for two weeks earlier than they had hoped. He looks back at the letter and asks Harry who this woman is. Harry tells him that he had seen her meet him off the train from school last term, carefully not mentioning Hogwarts to avoid making his uncle angry. Uncle Vernon thinks for a moment before asking if she is the dumpy woman with a load of red-haired children. He looks over the letter again and asks what this Quidditch rubbish is, but cuts Harry's sentence off when he says it's a sport played on a broom. Harry is a bit satisfied that even the mention of a broomstick puts his uncle into a panic and watches as Uncle Vernon reads the letter again and asks what she meant by sending the reply the normal way. Harry explains that she means owl post, which is normal for wizards. Uncle Vernon panics and tells Harry that he is not to mention that unnaturalness in his house and calls him ungrateful for the home and the clothes he wears, to which Harry responds that he only gets the clothes after Dudley is done with them. Uncle Vernon yells that he will not be spoken to like that. And Harry says that he isn't going to the World Cup, and that's fine. He just wants to go to his room now so he can finish his letter to Sirius, his godfather. Uncle Vernon's face pales with fear and asks Harry if they have been writing. Harry tells him that they have, but Sirius hasn't heard from him in a while, so he might be worried. This made Uncle Vernon's dilemma greater. If he stopped Harry from writing to Sirius, he might think he was being mistreated, but if he allowed Harry to tell Sirius that he wasn't allowed to go to the World Cup, Sirius would know he was being mistreated. Uncle Vernon tells Harry that he can go to the World Cup thing, to write back to the Weasleys that they will have to pick him up, and he can stay with them for the rest of the summer, and says to tell his godfather that he is going. Harry leaves and runs into Dudley, who has been eavesdropping in the hallway, and is surprised to see him smiling. Harry comments on their excellent breakfast, saying he feels really full, then laughs at Dudley's expression before racing back to his room. Hedwig is back and very annoyed at a small gray owl, whizzing around his room excitedly. Harry then notices that the small bird has dropped a letter and picks it up, recognizes Ron's handwriting, and tears open the envelope. Ron's letter is about the Quidditch World Cup on Monday. Ron is unsure if the Dursleys have already received the letter that Mrs. Weasley had sent, and says that they are coming to get him no matter what the muggles say, because he can't miss the World Cup. But they figure it's better if they pretend to ask permission. Either way, they will come and get him at five on Sunday. Harry writes Ron a quick note back saying that he is allowed to go, and that he can't wait to see him tomorrow at five o'clock. With some difficulty, he manages to tie the tightly folded note to the tiny bird who immediately zooms out the window. Harry finishes his letter to Sirius, letting him know that he will be at the Weasleys for the rest of the summer for the Quidditch World Cup, and sends it off with Hedwig. He then helps himself to some cake and enjoys it, and the happiness that floods through him as he thinks about leaving Privet Drive to watch the World Cup, no longer worried about anything, even Lord Voldemort. So, as there isn't anything to compare and contrast these chapters to, we're just going to work our way through them and talk about what was left out, why we think it was left out, and how we feel about that. Tell me, how do you feel how does about that? that? Make you feel? 
Chapter 2 starts out with Harry lying in bed, panting over the vivid dream that he had as the scar on his forehead burns. He recalls the dream, remembering a snake, Wormtail, Voldemort, and an old man. Voldemort was plotting to kill someone else, and him. So... It was kind of already Yeah, I don't know that that's there. kind of recapping what we watched happen. So I can see yeah. why they'd leave this out. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it doesn't seem to really need to be in there. Yeah. Again, like again, it literally just happened in the movie. So right. why would we need it? Don't need to go over it. We've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. He tries to read flying with the cannons to distract himself, but that doesn't work. Because he's just thinking about how the last time his scar hurt, Voldemort had been nearby. So he kind of half expected him to be there now, but knew that was impossible. It still didn't stop him from listening, expecting him to like come up the stairs or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he didn't hear anything because the only other people in the house were his Uncle Vernon, Aunt Petunia, and Cousin Dudley. The Dursleys were all sound asleep, and Harry would never be able to approach them about his fears. Because... Well, they hated everything about magic, and they didn't even really like Harry. For right? That <laughs> like, I mean, they kind of hated that he lived there, and he was a bother on them, even though it was Voldemort's fault that he had to. Right. I mean, come on. And this is one of those, you know, trips to the Department of Backstory here yes. that we know this already. Mm-hmm. You're probably not going to start watching the movies at the fourth movie and not know what happened in the other ones. Yeah. And we do at least know from the other movies that Voldemort killed Harry's parents and left him an orphan. He had to go live with his aunt and uncle. Right. If you haven't picked that up by now, you guys probably want to go back and do a reread or a rewatch. Exactly. (laughs) So I can see, again, why they felt we can streamline this. Mm -hmm. They just streamlined a lot. It really did. I mean, yeah, the chapter was pretty redundant for what we already know. Yeah. Because the book then goes on to tell us that when Harry was a year old... Voldemort, the most powerful dark wizard, killed his parents and tried to kill him, but failed and ended up nearly killing himself instead. He fled and hid, and then his followers disbanded. Harry Potter became famous, although he didn't learn that until he was 11. So total backstory. Like, we already know this information. Yeah, we've literally watched three other movies about this. (laughs) Right. We're good. (laughs) I'm not upset that this was left out. Yeah. (laughs) I'm always intrigued when people are like, what Harry Potter movie should I start with? And I'm like, uh, the one? first one? Why, why would you? Is that a question? Yeah. Oh, that's a question. I've gotten that question. I've told people, watch the first three movies. Yeah. Read the last four books. If yeah. you're not going to read all of them. Yeah. However, I also tell people to read all of them. <laughs> Just you? <laughs> Just read them all. All of the times. All <laughs> need to read ikea instructions don't read harry potter instead yes if you have to read read harry potter (laughs) if you have to read read harry potter my new slogan we should put that on a a t-shirt yes new t-shirt idea (laughs) oh but anyway now that harry potter was 14 and getting ready for his fourth year at hogwarts he was much more used to the attention he would get and was anxiously awaiting returning to school He thought about his best friends and wondered what they would say about his scar hurting. So now we're kind of getting into newer stuff. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know how they would have shown this exactly. He just imagines that Hermione would advise him to go to Dumbledore and in the meantime, consult a book 
though he doesn't think a book would be useful since he's the only person he's ever heard of to have survived a curse like Voldemort's. So then he should read Harry Potter. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That would make the most sense. All of the answers. Go to Pottermore. (laughs) Do some studying, Harry. Guy, go to theleakycauldron.org. What's up? But he also couldn't figure out how to express his concern to Dumbledore without feeling stupid. Yeah. And so he just ended up imagining Ron Weasley's response instead. But I don't know how they could show that because it's all happening in his head. Yeah. It's all imagined. And we were just inside his head for the dream, too. Right. So it's going to be really weird going back inside his head for him to imagine what it would be like for him to explain the dream to other people. Yeah, I mean, they, they could have done, like, where they actually filmed scenes of Hermione and Ron actually doing this, but it's not the style the movie used, so that it's, didn't make yeah. sense. I feel like it would just have confused the audience, too. It would have just been right. odd, if yeah. I'm being honest. Would I have loved to have seen something like that? Sure. Yeah. Of course. I would love for every single literal word to have been somehow included. Oh, no. You gave me more Harry Potter. No. Yes. How dare you, you... M- you monster. <laughs> you muggle fucker. <laughs> Muffucker. Muffucker. Sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, like... I mean, I'm not going to argue with more Harry Potter, but at the same time, I can completely understand yeah. leaving that out. I really can. But Harry pictured Ron worrying about it and saying that he'd ask his dad about curse scars. Harry doesn't like the idea of all the Weasleys knowing that he was getting jumpy over a few moments' pain, and he was hoping to get to visit them soon for the Quidditch World Cup, so he didn't want that punctuated with anxious questions about his scar. Which is understandable. Yeah. But still, all in his head. It, true. But still, you don't want people, like, looking at you like, ooh. Right. Are you okay? You all right? No. I'm fine. I'm fine. Fuck off, would you? <laughs> Nobody believes when you say you're fine. No. Well, that's usually because it's a lie. But. Right. <laughs> but while Harry's wishing that he had a parent or someone like a parent with experience with dark magic, he finally remembers Sirius Black. dun 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 Except it's not that weird that he initially didn't think of his dog father because he only found out about him two months ago. And more backstory. (laughs) (laughs) And if you'll follow me down this hallway, we will talk about Sirius Black, who had previously been wrongfully imprisoned in Azkaban for the past 12 years, having been convicted for murders that Wormtail actually committed. He broke out last year and Harry learned the truth. He thought he was going to get to live with him, but Wormtail escaped before the truth could come out, and Sirius had to run for it. Because that's Harry's luck, really. And Sirius's, for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, Sirius's luck might be worse. I mean, I'm... he also lost his entire family and had to go to prison for 12 years. Though you could yeah. argue that the Dursleys are kind of like prison. I mean, they're certainly not a vacation in Majorca. Peas in a pod, those two. <laughs> <laughs> but again, that's all backstory. We know mm-hmm. that. We just finished the book with that. However, we do learn that Sirius is still quite useful to Harry because after he told the Dursleys that he had a dangerous murderer for a dog father, they let him keep his school stuff in his room instead of locking it up like they used to. He conveniently forgot to mention that Sirius was innocent, (laughs) and I would have loved to see that because it happened at the end of the last book, and they cut over that with the cheesy ending of the broom flying thing that Mm -hmm. I'm still not over. That was ridiculous, yes. But then they skip it again Mm -hmm. because they leave it out at the beginning of this movie. And I would have loved to see it. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I mean, he doesn't. We're not at the Dursleys at all. No, we don't get movie, to see the Dursleys so, at all. I mean, which is kind of upsetting because as much as we hate the Dursleys, we love to hate them. Right. So it would and, have been. And there were some excellent moments. There were some wonderful moments, like mm-hmm. wonderfully bad. But like, yeah, the actors were just amazing. And it's kind of sad to me that we don't get to talk about them this film. Yeah. We didn't get I to feel, see them. I feel the same. I know. It was definitely a difference because it's the first movie that they're not in at all. Mm-hmm. And I know we're only four movies in, but still, it's it's just sad. Yeah. Because like I said, as much as we hate them, like we love, we love to, to hate, hate them. We love it. And we were bilked of that. Mm-hmm. But Harry had received two letters from him that summer and decided to write back to him to tell him about his scar hurting. He filled him in how Dudley's diet wasn't going well. Shocker. Because Aunt Petunia caught him sneaking donuts into his room and told him they'd have to cut his pocket money if he kept doing it. He got really angry and threw his PlayStation out the window. Which was our trivia question and one of those things that I would have loved to see. Right? And it wouldn't even take, like, it would just be a little moment. Seriously. It'd be satisfying. It would have been. Unfortunately, we were bilked of that one, too. Yep. Bullshit. So much bilking. (laughs) He also informs Sirius that he's okay, mostly because the Dursleys are terrified he will show up and turn them into bats, which that would have been funny, too, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Even just the fear of that. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Is like, you just see, like, Harry leaving. I mean, I pit- would have loved to see them actually turn well, into bats. Yes. <laughs> no, I mean, just, like, just have Harry, like, leave pictures of bats around the house. <laughs> 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 or, like, just leave his wand lying casually around like oh sorry let me grab this oh look it's sparking (laughs) i would just love that i'm sorry but then he mentioned that his scar hurt again telling him that the last time it happened voldemort was nearby and wondered if cursed scars sometimes hurt years after he doesn't send the letter immediately because hedwig is out hunting so he also decides to leave out the dream because he doesn't want to look too worried yeah and then he gets up, gets dressed, and heads down to breakfast. And that's the end of chapter two, which, as we said, none of this happened in the movie. Not a damn thing. Well, I mean, he woke up. <laughs> he did. He did wake up. We did kind of include that. Yeah. But it was not even in the same place. No. And <laughs> yeah, I don't know why it was necessary to cut out everything, because this is a huge part of Harry's life. And it's also, Harry is required to return to the Dursleys mm-hmm. in order to be able to still call that a home to still be protected. To keep, yeah, to keep and the, that's, the, they kind of minimize that in the films as well. So that oh, yeah. was something that this just undermined. Like you kind of assumed it in the film, but we never saw it. So how, yeah. would, how the fuck would we know? And for all we know, he didn't even go home at all. Yeah, exactly. True. So. Because the last thing we saw was his stupid freeze frame on the broom. Right. <laughs> So really, yeah, you're right. We have we have no reason to assume that he went back to the Dursleys at all. Yeah. In the movie. So, yeah. Which is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> is what it is. Is what it is. I mean, a lot of that was backstory. Mm-hmm. I can understand leaving this chapter out. I don't understand leaving chapter three out, which is where we're yeah. headed now. Yeah, because that starts out with Harry entering the kitchen and finding the three Dursleys sitting around the table. Into Dudley's chagrin... Petunia is cutting a grapefruit into quarters, but I'm not sure what he's complaining about. Handbag of assholes literally makes it a point to give Harry less than Dudley gets. Well, I mean, it's a grapefruit. Like, I'd complain over a grapefruit. <laughs> that surprises nobody, I'm sure. But not only is it a grapefruit, it's, it's like part of a grapefruit. So it's not even the whole damn thing. 
And he's complaining because on the end of year reports, the school nurse managed to add a few comments that Dudley's parents couldn't explain away. Like they did his bad marks and the accusations of bullying. And no matter how much the handbag of assholes claimed Dudley was big boned and the extra poundage was puppy fat, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) And nothing could change the fact that the school outfitters didn't stock Knickerbockers big enough for him anymore. Which is kind of sad, actually. Yeah, I don't usually like how she writes the bullies into being fat people oh yeah a lot. like she really does and that's we've talked about this before too we've talked i believe we talked about it in sorcerer's stone yeah philosopher's stone a lot of people do that like a lot of writers it's a big thing in hollywood it's like oh you need a bad person make them fat make them ugly yeah make them fat make, make them stupid ugly. yeah make them fat ugly and stupid the trifecta yeah and it's not okay. It perpetuates. Especially since she writes it in a way where it's meant to be humorous. Yeah. It's all about let's make fun of the fat kid. It's totally perpetuating body shaming. Which is interesting because you're body shaming him for his body, but he's a bully. Right. You have so many other things to make fun of him for. Right. And the problem with it is that it's like it's okay to body shame him because he's a bully, but yeah. it's still not. Yeah. So I'm sorry. It's okay to call him an asshole. He is an asshole. He's totally a little backpack of assholes. He's well, not a little one. Well, no. But again, see, that goes into it is. But I am going along with the story. I know. Yeah, I know it. That's exactly what I'm saying is it perpetuates that and that stereotype that, oh, well, you're bigger or you're different looking or you're this. You're either going to be weird or you're going to be mean or for whatever reason, I, we need to shun you. Yeah. We need to Heaven dislike you. Heaven forbid we shun people for just being awful. Right? Exactly. But anyway. Any- sorry, tangent. <laughs> After many arguments, Dudley was put on the diet that Harry had mentioned to Sirius in his letter. And in an effort to make Dudley feel better about it, the whole family was put on the diet. And as I mentioned before, Petunia makes sure that Harry gets smaller portions than Dudley. Yeah. Which they were already giving him small portions right? anyway. <laughs> like so shitty. I'm pretty sure if anybody needed to not be on a diet, it'd be Harry. But that's neither here nor there. But this is something. It's not backstory. It's not information we already had. Mm-hmm. This could be done. Like this whole thing could be done in one little scene yeah. over breakfast. Little breakfast table scene. Give us it's a little like bit of background information. Right. Yeah. And it would just be so delightful to see. Give us a chance to just really hate on the satchels of assholes. Exactly. But no. I'm kind of surprised that Hollywood missed the chance to fat shame. Right? You know, usually they jump right at that. But that's, again, neither here nor there. (laughs) But the satchels of assholes didn't know that Harry had written to his friend with pleas for food. So he didn't have to survive the summer on carrot sticks. And they all responded with tons of food. So that's pretty Fucking baller. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Plus four birthday cakes on his birthday. All of which was hidden under his floorboards. Okay, so I've seen under floorboards before. Yeah. Len's old apartment was a total shithole and completely falling apart. And that included the floorboards and his kitchens coming Mm -hmm. loose. And I would not want to eat anything that had been stored under floorboards. Right? It's so cringy. (laughs) I mean, I would like to think that the Dursleys are living in a better place than this old well, apartment was. I know part of the reason with but, their floorboards was just the sheer number of shit and booze and ev- food and everything that well, was spilled and seeped down in there. Yes. A bedroom is probably a little better than a kitchen for but something still, like that. But still, you don't want to keep 
food. Ew. But how nice is it that Harry got four birthday cakes? I think that's pretty awesome. Like, he went from getting zero birthday cakes for 11 years, or 10 years, I guess, to getting four. I love that. That makes me really happy. Mike thinks that he lined it with a garbage bag or something, which... I mean... He, I'm sure he. I'm sure he did something. He did, but still, it does not create not a good visual for me, though. Well, you gotta think that would attract ants. That would attract. This is how we get ants. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want ants? This is how you get ants. <laughs> I mean, but that would be also kind of a funny like payback to the Dursleys. True. <laughs> like, hey, I'm going off to school for a while. Enjoy your infestation of bugs. Max thinks that Harry just ate maggoty cake and is gross. So I mean, is it better or worse than a grapefruit? <laughs> Speaking of grapefruit, yes. While they're eating their grapefruit, the doorbell rings and Uncle Vernon gets up to answer it. Harry hears laughter, the door close, and paper ripping. Aunt Petunia looks to see what's going on, and Uncle Vernon returns to the kitchen, livid. He tells Harry to go to the living room where Harry learns that his uncle is upset over a letter from Molly Weasley. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Dursley, We have never been introduced, but I am sure you have heard a great deal from Harry about my son, Ron. Sure they have. (laughs) As Harry might have told you. Or not, because those satchels of assholes are the worst. The worst. Sorry. The Quidditch World Cup takes place this Monday night, and my husband, Arthur, has just managed to get prime tickets through his connections at the Department of Magical Games and Sports. I do hope you will allow us to take Harry to the match, as this really is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Britain hasn't hosted the Cup for 30 years, and tickets are extremely hard to come by. We would of course be glad to have Harry stay for the remainder of the summer holidays and see him safely onto the train back to school. It would be best for Harry to send us your answer as quickly as possible in the normal way, because the muggle postman has never delivered to our house, and I'm not sure he even knows where it is. (laughs) Hoping to see Harry soon, yours sincerely, Molly Weasley. P.S. I do hope we've put on enough stamps. And here we get to the actual reason that Bag of Assholes is so triggered. (laughs) Because Mrs. Weasley covered the entire envelope with stamps. Except for the tiny area with the address on it. And I can't even tell you how much money I would pay to see this scene. Right. (laughs) Exactly. I do love Harry's response to it, though. She did put enough stamps on then. Right. (laughs) But Vernon is pissed because the postman noticed and thought it was funny. Which Vernon can't handle because heaven forbid he's associated with anything abnormal. Of course not. They may figure out that they are connected to wizards. Don't let Vernon hear you say that word. Good point. I don't want to trigger him anymore, the snowflake. (laughs) (laughs) So Harry asks if he can go, and Bag of Asshole's face gives a slight spasm as he clearly deals with the conundrum of getting rid of Harry early versus doing something that would make Harry happy. Because he's a bag of assholes. A huge bag of assholes. Huge. 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 (laughs) Biggest bag of assholes you've ever seen. (laughs) Nobody has bigger bags of assholes. Nobody. Nobody is a bigger bag of assholes. (laughs) Seriously. The best bag of assholes ever. The worst bag of assholes. (laughs) Thus the best worst bag of assholes. To stall for time, bag of assholes asks who this woman is and harry explained that she's his friend ron's mother and he's seen her before at the train station nearly calling it the hogwarts train but avoiding it to keep his uncle's temper down 
bag of assholes recalls her to be a dumpy sort of woman with loads of redheaded children before moving on to criticize the word Quidditch. First off, you leave Molly Weasley's name out of your dirty ass mouth, you bitch. <laughs> you bag of assholes. <laughs> you bag of assholes. <laughs> you don't talk about my Molly like that. In the book, they even have Harry think like, really, you're going to call her dumpy when your son's the size of a whale. Right. Like those are the words they use. Yeah. So. Again, fat shaming. Yep. But you know what? In that case, it's kind of true. Don't diss on somebody's looks if you're... Don't throw stones in a glass house. Yeah. But at this point, Harry is losing his patience and just flat out tells him that it's a sport played on a broom before a bag of assholes cuts him off and snipes at the normal way, quote unquote. Still done with his bullshit, Harry tells him, normal for us. You know, owl post. That's what's normal for wizards. Sassy Harry strikes back. Mm-hmm. And of course, Bag of Assholes reacts as if Harry said a swear word. Oh, he oh, said the thing. Wizard. <laughs> His face turns purple as he says, You stand there in the clothes Petunia and I have put on your ungrateful back. And Harry cuts him off with the sassiest of sasses, saying, Only after Dudley finishes with them. Bam! That is a mic drop comment. Bam! <laughs> Harry don't take none of their shit. And his bag of assholes is about to explode, Harry takes a breath and says, Okay, I can't see the World Cup. Can I go now then? Only, I've got a letter to Sirius I want to finish. You know, my godfather. Or in our case, dogfather. <laughs> <laughs> and these words sink in beautifully. Especially once Harry confirms that he's been writing to him and adds that it's been a while since he's heard from me. And if he doesn't, he might start to think something is wrong. Oh, no. Oh, my God. I <laughs> I would have loved to see this. I would have mm -hmm. loved to see Vernon's reactions. You know that Richard Griffiths would have nailed that. He, he probably would have even been able to get his face to turn purple. I was just going to say, like, I can see his purple face right it now. It would have happened. I legitimately can. It's... Ugh. We needed it. We, we needed it. Yeah. And we didn't get it. And we I'm didn't. sad. Because that's some bullshit. <laughs> but ultimately, Bag of Assholes ends up conceding that Harry can go to the World Cup, but that the Weasleys must pick him up and that he can spend the rest of the summer there. Hmm. I'm actually interested that he was okay with the Weasleys picking him up. Like, do you really want wizards coming to your place? As he said in the book, they didn't have time to drive him all over the country. So make him take the bus. He got to Hogwarts last year, like, with fucking nothing. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm surprised. Like, you would think they would be like, they're not coming here. He could have full on taken the night bus to get to them. That's what I, yeah. yeah. That's what I figure. But had he done that. Chapter four wouldn't have happened. Exactly. And the hilarity that ensued in that. <laughs> Which we will talk about Which next week. We will indeed. <laughs> But then in the hallway, Harry runs into Dudley, who has been trying to listen in and was shocked to see Harry grinning. And just for funsies, he tells Dudley, That was an excellent breakfast, wasn't it? I feel really full, don't you? And then he goes upstairs to eat cake. <laughs> <laughs> to have his cake and eat it too. True. Though, first he finds Ron's little owl with a letter from Ron about the match. And it explains that they're coming to get him regardless. They just thought it was better to pretend to ask permission first. And I love that. <laughs> I love the Weasley so much. They're so amazing. They're awesome. Harry writes back that he can go and he'll see them at five o'clock next day and then sends it off with the little gray owl. 
He then finishes his letter to Sirius, adding on that he will be staying with the Weasleys for the rest of the summer, and they have tickets to the Quidditch World Cup. And then he sends that letter off with Hedwig, telling her he'll be at Ron's too. She nips his finger before heading off. And then Harry gets to have his cake and eat it too. The end. Well, boom. <laughs> at least of chapter three. <laughs> This is going to bring us to the end of our comparing section, which wasn't really a comparing really section comparing, this time. Yeah. It was comparing the book to what we wish had happened. Right. And obviously, because there were no movie scenes, we don't have actors to talk about. Mm -hmm. But we do want to mention how much we very much missed Fiona yes. Shaw and Richard, Richard Griffiths, Griffiths and, and, Harry Melling. and Harry Melling. They as, could have killed this. They as the satchels have. of assholes, they would have been phenomenal. Yes. They would and have I would have paid amazing. money to see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, we paid money to see it anyway. Right. But, <laughs> but we still would have paid money to see them, too. Right. <laughs> if there was, like, a separate ticket that you could buy to just see some Dursley scenes, I'd probably buy it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd do it. The director's cut? Hell yeah. I'd Literally cut. Yeah. <sighs> but that'll bring us to our Potter ponderings. And again, since chapters two and three were not present in the movie at all... We were wondering if there was anything about them in specific that you wish had been included. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We really look forward to reading them. This will bring us to our sorting hat story, which is from Bridget Emerson. She is in Gryffindor. Her wand is ebony wood with a unicorn hair core, 11 inches in hard flexibility. Her Patronus is a Manx cat. Hey, that's mine. Yeah, you guys have matching Patronuses. <gasps> Twinsies! Patronies? Patroniuses? Patroniums? Not important. Go on. Continue. She writes, I was one of the late joiners to Harry Potter. I was in graduate school when the books became popular, and because I didn't want to be a joiner, I held off reading them for many years. By the time the last two books were coming out, I was fully on board, and I was delighted by them and the lessons they taught. One of my favorite things about them is how they were designed to grow with their readers. Concepts and themes in book one were approached from a more simple and childlike perspective, in the sense of how right and wrong, good and evil, were represented and perceived. As each new book was published and the characters matured, those concepts became murkier and murkier. Once clear black and white became hazy shades of gray, and school children's concerns were soon eclipsed by complex real-world issues. Slavery, sexism, greed, abuse and domestic violence, manipulation, deception, violence, narcissism, politics, power and control. Though they are a magnificent escape, as the vivid world imagined by Rolling Springs to vibrant life, they are also valuable for these other reasons. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story, Bridget. That was really deep. Right? I love the dissertation we got there. Right? That was amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. You can also message it to us over social media. And now that brings us to this week's trivia question, which is, what does Crookshanks enjoy chasing at the Weasley house? The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word, hashtag everything is a toy, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. 
Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like Just Keep Rolling swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel where you get to listen in to us recording episodes from time to time, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 4, Back to the Burrow, and Chapter 5, Weasley's Wizard Wheezes, and the literally no corresponding film scenes. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just, just keep, keep rolling. rolling.